Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Welcome to GradCast. You are here with me, Susan, and Gina. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> and we are interviewing today Dahlia Hassan. Hi. Hello, Dahlia. So uh, what faculty are you in? I'm in the Faculty of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences. Great. And your is a master's program? Yeah, or? I'm in my first year of my master's in health promotion. Awesome. Okay, so we heard a little bit, we read a little bit about... Um, what it is you study, and it seems quite topical and very interesting. Tell us a little bit about your research. <laughs> okay, well, um, I thought I'd start by talking a bit about my favorite subject, which is me, <laughs> to give you a bit of context about my research interests. And so I'm a recent medical school graduate, and throughout my studies, uh, the focus was primarily on um, the diseases and little information was actually presented on health. And so it really seems to reflect how we function as a society in that our healthcare model focuses primarily on treating and curing diseases. And though that's obviously very important for us to do, I think it's equally important to prevent diseases and maintain good health. And so my background gives you a bit of um, an idea of the inspiration of my research interests. So you already went through medical school completely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> Dr. Dahlia. <laughs> and what, so it brought, what brought you back into research rather than going into practice was this, this inspired you because you, yeah. you thought that we don't focus on being healthy and avoiding disease. Right. So it, it's, it's more of an upstream approach rather than the downstream. And so, for example, you see with alcoholics, um, they're usually identified and they're given um, uh, many different types of treatment, whether it's with medications or with counseling, they have their Alcoholics Anonymous. But with smoking, we don't really see that in the hospital. So someone will come in with uh, COPD, for example, or a respiratory. <laughs> you, may, you may have to spell that one out. I, I, I study spiders. So. <laughs> what, what is COPD? So chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And so, um, for example, bronchitis would fall under that. Okay. And so they might have an exacerbation of that and come into the hospital, be treated, and then leave. But the root cause of that exacerbation, which would be smoking in many cases, wasn't addressed and they didn't really receive the proper treatment to prevent those um, diseases from coming back into the hospital. And so um, for me, I really have an enormous curiosity in child health because I defy you to find me a child who doesn't grow up into an adult. And as such problems encountered in childhood have the potential to carry forth into adulthood. And so childhood seems to be the optimal time to intervene. Um, it's where habits are formed too, right? Like to build a healthier life, it's good absolutely. to start early. Yeah. yeah, and our environment, our family, there's so many dynamics that can be influenced at a young age to help us become healthier adults. And so specifically, I'm 
interested in childhood obesity because it's truly become an epidemic. And I think the word epidemic itself is thrown around a lot and people may have become immune to it, but just to give you some perspective, uh, one in every three Canadian children are either overweight or obese. And of um, Canadian First Nations children, half of them are either overweight or obese. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so what is sort of the definition of obese versus overweight? That's a good question. Unfortunately, medically, it's a bit more complicated. So it's measured by your body mass index. Okay. And so there's just like an arbitrary line? Yes. Okay. Um, However, there are studies that show um, when asking parents if they think that their child is overweight or obese, they tend to underestimate their child. So they don't really see it within their families, which is a problem. And so in my opinion, I, or my humble opinion, I think that the <laughs> definition... medical opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think the definition of obesity and overweight needs to change to reflect... Um, social determinants of health or causes of obesity rather than some arbitrary number that isn't always followed in clinic or explained well to parents. Because yeah, I think sometimes we think that if you're overweight, you know, maybe you should lose some weight, but if you're obese, that's where you have the health problems. Like there's actually a real, like a chasm between those two uh, categories. Right, absolutely. And um, it's even when you're overweight, you risk becoming obese, and so you want to be able to manage children, whether they're over, whether they're healthy, overweight, or obese, because you can still prevent um, many diseases um, as a consequence of their excess weight. And even overweight or obese children are at risk of harming almost any organ in their body. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yeah. a very systemic disease, and. Uh, now we see diseases such as hypertension or type 2 diabetes that was previously diagnosed only in adults is now being diagnosed in children. And so I think the take-home message of my talk would be just um, that most obesity-related diseases in childhood are preventable. And so that's really what stemmed uh, my research interests. So you back to the whole preventing uh disease rather than treating it is to go back to the root source. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, childhood obesity is a very hot topic in Canada right now. And the provincial government has actually made it a health priority. So the government of Ontario has actually committed to reducing the incidence of childhood obesity from 30% to 10% within five years. Wow, that's ambitious. It's very (laughs) ambitious, and it's a very short time span. And so I think now more than ever, um, we need to maximize all our efforts. And so that's where my research in looking at medical school curriculum comes in, because it might not be an intuitive thought that to curb the incidence of childhood obesity, we should look at medical school's curriculum, but I think it definitely plays an important part in mitigating this disease. Uh, For example, one study has shown that more than 80% of Canadian family physicians identified an inadequate amount of nutrition-related training 
um, as a barrier for them managing children with obesity. So they're saying, this is not just new medical doctors, but medical doctors who have been medical doctors for decades. Right. Uh, are saying that they just don't have the training to, to uh, what's the word, to pass that on to their patients. Absolutely. And that's just um, nutrition-related training. Okay. And so... Unfortunately for childhood obesity, there's no gold standard of care. Um, however, we do know that lifestyle med modifications is very effective. And so that would encompass physical activity and nutrition. And so in looking at why physicians aren't managing more patients with lifestyle modifications, um, yeah, the study demonstrated that there was inadequate medical training. And so even when medical students were studied and asked if they thought that their training was adequate, about half of them reported that they found it inadequate. Okay, because that's, I, I know that, I don't know about you, Dina, but uh, every day there seems to be some kind of post or something about, chocolate's good for you, chocolate's bad for you, caffeine's good for you, caffeine's bad for you, um, all those kinds of things. Those are, I mean, a lot of them are pop science, of course, but <laughs> yeah. some you know, basic research on the effect of foods and the effects of nutrition, different, you know, getting vitamin D in your diet and what that does. This is not part of a regular curriculum. Like knowing, knowing these things is not part of medical school curriculum? Well, interestingly enough, there was a recent uh, systematic uh, review on nutrition-related curriculum guidelines in medical schools in the UK, the US, Ireland, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And the results demonstrated that only in the United Kingdom uh, Medical School Accreditation Committee mandated nutrition education, while the other five uh, countries um, bodies they either they endorsed rather than enforced uh, nutrition related training and so the lack of mandated nutrition education guidelines in in five of the countries reviewed may lead to some patients getting more dietary interventions than others and so depending on where medical students were trained patients are receiving different standards of care and so I think this really highlights the fact that medical schools need to work outside of their silos and um, work more collaboratively with other medical schools in North America and abroad. So I'm just curious because a lot of people would think that doctors are help are there to help and treat patients for some kind of disease like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there are other careers or career options that help and focus more with the counseling aspect. I feel like what you're studying here is we need doctors to also um, help with the intervention to prevent obesity. But do you think that maybe having dietitians work with clinicians would be more of an effective way to reduce childhood obesity rather than just focusing on medical students getting more training in this nutritional curriculum itself? Right, so I think firstly, I just want to address um, prevention because you mentioned that 
physicians should treat mm -hmm. um, childhood obesity, but they can also prevent diseases from ha from developing for even sure. if children are already obese. So I think there still is a critical role for doctors to manage children with obesity because they establish a relationship with their patients and so they're able to um, have the opportunity to see their patients on a regular basis and we know that with lifestyle modification it is something that needs to be regularly maintained and so they can easily check in with their physicians. Um, on top of that there are incentives for physicians to counsel patients so it can be part of their practice. Um, but in terms of incorporating nutritionists or dietitians, they definitely play an important role. I think it comes back to addressing the cause of the problem. And so physicians need to be trained on when it's appropriate to refer to a dietitian, but at the same time also know how to manage it themselves and provide their patients with the best practice of care. So do you think it should be a specialty-dependent um, um, implementation of the curriculum? or Because I find that not all um, doctors would see children on like a regular basis, mm -hmm. maybe like their family doctor or pediatricians. Um, do you think it's important for all clinicians to be educated in this um, curriculum itself? Yeah, so I think that's a very interesting question because there is a preconceived notion that childhood obesity only, um, or only pediatricians or family physicians see children with obesity. And I think that most disciplines in medicine will end up seeing children with obesity either directly or indirectly through their health consequences carrying into adulthood and so they'll see those effects later on so for example surgeons would see um, children with obesity at a certain stage if they qualify for bariatric surgery or internal medicine specialists head and neck surgeons um, nephrologists cardiologists they would all see health consequences associated with diabetes with uh, childhood obesity, such as diabetes, um, heart diseases, even certain cancers. So as I mentioned, childhood obesity can affect almost any organ. And so every type of physician can play a role in preventing and treating it. And so that's why I think medical school is the optimal environment to be able to address um, this issue because I think it's important for all physicians to be aware of their role in curbing the incidence of childhood obesity. So I, I have just a bit of questions. Are you talking to medical schools? You talked about the different countries. Are you focusing then on Canada mostly? Yeah, so originally I wanted to focus on Canada. However, master's program has a limited amount of time and so <laughs> my supervisor oh, yeah. constantly reminds me of that and um, <laughs> um, I'm of the school of thought to shoot for the moon and if you miss you land among the stars so I'm currently landing among the stars and I'll just be focusing on schools in Ontario it'll be a lot more manageable and also the way that the government works is at the provincial levels and so it makes more sense just to focus on one province 
for now, and maybe later if I do my PhD, I could <laughs> do the rest of Canada. Well, that was my question is generally how do medical schools, do you know how medical schools really vary in across provinces, uh, across countries? You mentioned that you know there is there are differences. Is there anything that mandates what a school should teach? Like a medical, like a if you're a medical doctor from this from BC, right. are you do you learn something completely different than a medical professional from Ontario? Right. So there's um, a Canadian accreditation committee that mandates what medical schools should be teaching, and. Of course, in medical school, what you learn is very general. Mm -hmm. And so what is in the contents of the accreditation list is also very general. And so that includes nutrition. And so it doesn't go into specifically how many hours they need to be teaching or what nutrition-related training that should be taught. And so... There is some kind of standard that medical schools need to abide by. However, there is quite a bit of flexibility in terms of the medical schools themselves to manage what has more emphasis in the curriculum or how it's taught. And so that's what I mean by medical schools sometimes work in silos in that they have autonomy over what they're teaching their students and it it might not be in harmony with what another medical school is teaching even within the the same province. So where do you want to see your research be applied? Like Yeah, so basically my research will is two parts. So basically I'll be quantifying the amount of nutrition related training in medical schools to see because the literature is showing that there is an insufficient amount of training, but what does that actually mean? (laughs) So I want to actually quantify it, see if if there's any homogeny between the medical schools. Um, But at the same time, obviously, the number of hours doesn't represent the best outcomes. And so I'll also be looking at the contents of what is being taught. And so I'm hoping that with my research, I'll be able to provide a report to the medical schools to demonstrate, because unfortunately they haven't done this themselves. (laughs) And it's something that I would have expected them to know or do. An internal audit. (laughs) Right, and so I feel that I want to help medical schools (laughs) in doing that. And so I would provide a report with that information. And at the same time, um, medical schools could also learn from the successes of different programs or also areas of improvement. So what kind of results, so in ideal world, they listen to you. Uh, What kind of results are you expecting to see? Um, I mean, first, this this is really just preliminary research, just to see what's out there to identify if there even is a need for more nutrition-related training, if it turns out that, you know, that the content of nutrition-related training is extremely variable between the different medical schools, then ultimately it's not fair to the patients to be getting 
different expertise of training. And so ideally, I would at least at the very basic level like it to be a standardized curriculum among all the medical schools. And I would like to see it be an evidence-informed curriculum and so reflective of current research and current um, hot topics in medicine because if the curriculum isn't evolving as fast as medical epidemics are occurring, then we have a big problem and in terms of the economy, in terms of quality of life, morbidity and mortality rates. So it's, it's a chronic problem that can affect many different sectors um, that I think is very important to address. Now, this may be beyond your scope of your research, but um, we have heard about childhood obesity, and you mentioned that it's nutrition and activity sort of related. Uh, this is more of a social science question, but you and you also noticed that it is more prevalent in First Nations communities. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anything related to um, like social situation or access to medical information? Is what do you know any correlations in that way, or like socioeconomic class is really? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many variables, and a lot of what you mentioned fall under the social determinants of health. That, that does fall outside the scope of my research because obesity is such a complex disease and there's so many factors that can cause it. So even genetics, medications, um, the environment, marketing, um, class, gender, it, the list goes on and on and on. And unfortunately in research, you can only hone in on one specific etiology and so I think that nutrition is one of the more bigger causes that we need to address but even within nutrition you know you have to make sure that families have access to um, healthy foods and that grocery stores are in support of people and not companies and so there's a lot of politics involved in it as well um, but I won't take all that on myself. And no, I just wondered yeah. if you, because probably read a bit about that. Yeah, so absolutely. Talk about that. I've also uh, heard that malnutrition, not necessarily obesity, but mm -hmm. malnutrition can lead to a lot of health and even mental development problems mm -hmm. in later years. Is that something that's just gonna is also probably going to be covered? If you, nutritional training to the doctors? Um, I think doctors, like in medical school, we do learn quite a bit about malnutrition. It is one of the more common um, causes for people to, to go into the hospital or even after operations. Um, it's something that's rigorously managed. And so, I, to my knowledge, I don't think there's really a gap in training in malnutrition. I think obesity is more of a new phenomenon. Um, and so that's why I think medical schools might not have adapted as quickly to address such concerns. And I guess that kind of leads into my question about how recent is it? Like how fast has this epidemic been evolving? Uh, I would say up until like from the 1980s, 
there's been a trend in increasing childhood obesity rates. And so um, about childhood obesity increases at a rate of 1% a year. So that's why we're, um, we're more than 30% right now um, of seeing children with obesity or overweight in Canada. Well, I'd love to get uh, someone who's studying marketing <laughs> at, the school, at the school and tell us about why they think that is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great talking to you. Thank I love, you. we all love, everyone out there loves listening to what's going on on our campus, and it makes us feel really proud that there's research like this going on. So thank you so much for joining us at Dr. Dahlia. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This has been Susan and Gina. And this has been GradCast. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through GradCast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time. Friend Rusher. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, excellent. Oh my god. Okay, sorry. <laughs>